Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Today, I'm so pleased to introduce you to um, my friend, Holly Girth. I consider her my friend, even though we're just now meeting, because she writes in such a beautiful um friendly style. If you've read any of her devotional books, you know that she is a licensed uh, counselor, also a certified life coach and writer, author, podcaster. What's the name of your podcast, Holly? More Than Small Talk. More Than Small Talk, which she surely does. And um, anyway, today we're going to talk about her latest book, which I was just telling her is so different to to me. It is from her other books. Uh, And uh, I'm going to show you the cover. There we go. I don't know if they can read it backwards. The Powerful Purpose of Introverts, Why the World Needs You to Be You. And I was very intrigued by this because I live with an extreme uh, introvert. So uh, Holly, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family and then your ministry, and then we're going to dig into this book as much as we can in the next 20 minutes. Okay. Well, I'm the granddaughter of Christian bookstore owners. So I grew up being that little girl who dreamed of writing one day, and that came true. Mm-hmm. I started out writing for Dayspring Cards, the Christian subsidiary of Hallmark, and then about a decade ago, transitioned to writing books. And my family story is crazy. Mark and I couldn't have kiddos of our own, and God brought us a 20-year-old daughter who didn't have parents. And so that was seven years ago. She's now married and has two kids. So we are also Nana to Eula and Clem much sooner than we thought we'd be doing the grandparenting thing. It's really fun. So do you have a book about that whole journey? I don't. I don't yet. (laughs) We'll see. My daughter's actually a great writer and an excellent speaker. So I would be surprised if someday we do something together. Like a duo. Yeah. Co-author, would that be a thrill? Okay. And so why did you decide to write this book? Uh, I mean, I can guess because you are an introvert, but why did you feel that the world needed this book? Well, I first found out I was an introvert in college at a campus ministry meeting. I remember there was a guest speaker talking about personality and I heard the word introvert for the first time. And it was like a light bulb went on. And I thought, wow, there's not only a word for my way of being in the world, there are a whole lot of other people who engage the same way. Hmm. And so I started learning then, but then I grew up and became a writer who got asked to do things like speak and Hmm. go to conferences a lot. And I told myself, I have to be more of an extrovert. It's part of the job. And I pushed myself into burnout. And so about five years ago, I felt like God was just saying, Holly, it's time to realign with who I created you to be. And I realized each of us are designed for God's purpose for our lives, not anyone else's. So that's why it doesn't work. But I started on a journey of really making peace with being an introvert for myself, did a ton of research, went to counseling, engaged with introverts all over the world, Mm. read every book I could get my hands on. And this book is the fruit of that. So I hope it will help a lot of introverts avoid the mistakes I made and Mm -hmm. have an easier time really embracing who God made them. Mm -hmm. Do you consider it a Christian book? Yes, I do. I would say it's a book from a Christian perspective that I hope is accessible to anyone wherever they are on their spiritual journey. Because the only other one I've seen uh, that is good is called Quiet, which I think you referenced. 
and disagreed with one thing, which was interesting about Saddleback when she visited Saddleback. I can't remember the example. Well, uh-huh. I just felt like I didn't. She, Susan Kane, the author, went to Saddleback and oh. met with Adam McHugh, who wrote the oh, book yeah. Perverts in the Church. And so they had a conversation about <laughs> how church culture in America slants more extroverted, mm. which is true. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a criticism, more of an observation, but I wondered, is there an introvert side to Saddleback also? And turns out there is. I know a local pastor who is head of a church plant of Saddleback in my area, and his name is Brandon Cox, and he's an introvert, and Mm. he's a vital part of that church too. And so it was fun just to dig in and say, okay, in every scenario, usually when you look at something working well, there's an extrovert and an introvert doing it together. There's mm-hmm. an extrovert and introvert side to it. And so I love finding those complementary pairings. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt as an, I'm a, a raging extrovert and I felt a little defensive at times when reading the book because I thought, well, I'm not completely that way, but I think the point you make throughout the book is that there's a balance that we don't have to grow into be somebody else that we embrace who God made us. And then when we have to put on, what was the thing? Did you just say you had to put on skills? You'd have to try a different skill set. But no, you said you have to make another mindset. What did you mean by that? Well, I think that all of us just need to embrace who we are and also sometimes step out of our comfort zone too. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that discomfort you felt sometimes in my book is how introverts feel almost all the time in a culture that leans more extroverted. Yes. And so one of my biggest fears was that extroverts would not realize how much I love them. That's why I wrote a note in the back to extroverts. <laughs> yeah, I love but that. I do think it's helpful for extroverts to realize, oh, this is how the introverts feel all the time mm-hmm. in almost every setting. Mm-hmm. That sense that maybe someone wants me to change or be different than mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. Because of COVID, we had a very small holiday dinner uh, at Thanksgiving, as well as Christmas. We normally have 35 to 50 at Christmas Eve. But my uh, introverted daughter came up to me after Thanksgiving and said, Mom, I know this wasn't what you wanted, but I really enjoyed it this year. Yes. <laughs> and I thought, I want to honor that and maybe every other year do it her way because she has said, give me a job so when the people come in, I have something to do. And I could just see that in your book. I mean, what a gift this book is to introverts just to make them feel better about who God has made them. Yes. And that's a great strategy for introverts to find a role or a responsibility that Mm -hmm. often helps when we are in social settings that might be a little overwhelming otherwise. Absolutely. She does the name tags. She, she's got great calligraphy handwriting. So she puts the place cards out and then everybody revels in who she is. And that I think as we mature, uh, that was one of my questions as far as self-awareness, how much is maturity a part of our self-awareness, like finding out who we are, not just taking a test? I think self-awareness is not a given. I know lots of people who have spent a lifetime without mm-hmm. self-awareness. I think it's something at some point we have to decide to intentionally cultivate because we all go through life with one of three perspectives, self-criticism, self-focus, or self-awareness. And self-awareness is not selfish. It actually frees us to serve because we're able to say, these are my strengths. These are my vulnerabilities. These are the gifts I can have. I have to serve others. 
these are the areas that I probably need to team up with someone different than me. Mm. And we not only more fully become ourselves, we appreciate who others are. The Mm -hmm. people I know who are least self-aware are also the most critical of others Hmm. because they assume that everyone should be like them. When we become self-aware, we appreciate the differences between us and see it as part of God's design. I think that section I read, because I was trying to think of the all three, I knew there was self-focus, self-awareness, and the first one was self-criticism. Yes, That was my favorite chapter besides probably the next four chapters. But when I read that, I thought that is so true. I'm so, I'm a, I celebrate when I find out something more about myself because I go, oh, that helps gives me com- uh, understanding. And also I think doesn't it help us uh, create boundaries. Like yeah. I know I'm a squirrel girl, you know, where oh, there's something else going on. <laughs> so if I, when someone asked me to do something recently, I said, no, I'm, I'm working on three things this quarter and I have to stick to those three things. So my self-awareness helped me create boundaries. Do you find that true as well? Yes. I think boundaries and strategies, like your daughter saying, I need a role. You Mm -hmm. saying, I need to focus on these three things that came out of an awareness of a weakness or a tendency in yourself. Mm -hmm. And then once you're aware of that, instead of feeling guilt or shame or whatever, we can be tempted to do. Instead, we just say, okay, then I need a strategy Mm -hmm. for this particular situation. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that can be helpful too. Well, when we're first married, I told my husband that I gave him two lists of people that I wanted to have for dinner, because I'm from a long line of having people for dinner, not knowing that he'd only had company once growing up that he could recall. And when I got through with the list, he said, well, you don't have to invite the whole world. And I thought, well, then I'll invite the non-Christians because I'll see the Christians later. I mean, that was, but then we actually had to strategize. I had to come to him and say, I desperately need company. You desperately need alone time. And so he said, okay, once a month, you know, that, that was a boundary that I wanted to defer to him because God gave me a wonderful introvert. But I think if we're always, if we're not self-aware, then how can we even learn to love our spouse or our child the way they need to be loved? Yeah. And that's a great example of strategizing as a couple in a relationship. I think it's important there too. And one of the interesting things I found is that extroverts and introverts experience happiness differently because it's really based in our biology, the way our brains and nervous systems are wired. And Mm -hmm. Extroverts feel their best through a neurotransmitter called dopamine, which is released when you have all those people over or anything else that's coming at you from the outside. Right. So happiness feels like enthusiasm and excitement to extroverts, but introverts thrive on a different one instead of choline. That's more like calming and release when we turn inward or have a meaningful conversation with one person. And so happiness for us feels like calm and contentment. Mm. So that is a lot of where you and your husband were coming from. That mm-hmm. you were saying to be happy in our marriage, I need enthusiasm and excitement. Right. And your husband was saying to have happiness in our marriage, I need calm and contentment. Mm-hmm. And both of those are equally valid. Right. But if you don't know those differences, you can spend a lot of time trying to make someone you love happy and then wondering why it's not quite working. Right, <laughs> so, right. And especially it's like giving someone a love language uh, in a way that you receive it, but not the way they receive it. Yes. Yeah, and the love languages too, the volume matters. If you have a words of affirmation extrovert, 
maybe they want you to pull them up in front of that whole dinner party full of people and say some kind things. Yes. But a words of affirmation <laughs> introvert probably wants you to write a note and leave uh -huh. it on the counter and let them read it privately after <laughs> everyone's gone home. Right. And so even considering <laughs> what volume do I need to mm. speak my person's love language in for them mm. to really be able to receive it. Mm. That's so wise. Uh, I gave a surprise birthday party for my husband the first year we were in marriage and afterward he said married and he said that was very sweet never do it again <laughs> that, <yes. laughs> that exactly that, that is, is a so perfect example I thought well, <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting for mine yeah. but I'll have to remind him yes I so have yeah to leave. you did that with the best of intentions I did and I love. and I have to leave notes by the coffee pot too that's where he likes perfect. his community. yes exactly <laughs> well, let me ask you this what is the biggest misconception that you feel uh, an extrovert has about an introvert? Probably that they are less social. We are equally social to extroverts. We are simply differently. Mm. Like your daughter saying, you know what? I feel the most connected to people when there are fewer of them mm -hmm. because I'd rather go deep than wide. And so I think extroverts sometimes can take that as, well, maybe you don't like people as much as I do, mm -hmm. but that's actually not true. Yeah. And also that introversion is just a preference when it's actually wired into our biology. Mm. It's not something that we can turn off and on. It's an intentional design by God that, like I said, I think makes us a complementary pairing. Mm -hmm. I really believe he intentionally made extroverts and he intentionally made introverts. And mm -hmm. we need both equally in our world. I totally agree with that. Uh, though I've had to learn to appreciate my introvert at times. <laughs> um, I think part of that is just knowing that God loves us all. You know, he doesn't love the introvert more than the extrovert or the extrovert more than right. the introvert. Now, what misconception does an introvert have about themselves? I think that they need to be different to be effective in particular situations. For example, hmm. leadership is one where our culture has a stereotype of the right. extrovert CEO, but there was a 10 year leadership study that actually found introvert CEOs slightly outperformed extrovert CEOs mm. due to the expectations of their boards or investors. Now it was very close. So again, I think both can lead equally right. well, mm -hmm. but just there's stereotypes in our culture that just aren't accurate that tell introverts, well, you can't lead or you can't do X, Y, Z. We absolutely can. Mm -hmm. We just need permission to do it differently, to do right. it our way. Right. And often to team up with our opposite, just like extroverts benefit from teaming up with introverts. And so letting go of those limitations we may have put on ourselves and instead saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm -hmm. And he's going to do those things through me in a way that fits with the design of who I am. Mm -hmm. Right. Um I have found that uh, the introverts in my life talk just as much as the extroverts, but the, it's one-on-one. -on -one. It's not in front of a crowd usually. And because yes. people have, I think a misconception is that introverts are shy, not necessarily. It was, would you consider that a struggle? Because you talk about moving from struggle to, what was the? Strength. Strength, from struggle yes. to strength. How did you come up with that? Because that was, I think it's genius actually, because people look at their struggles and they think they're sinful or that they need to change. Well, yeah. we do need to change from our sin, yes, 
But what, what is the difference between a struggle and a sin then? Maybe you can answer that question. Yeah. Well, it was a big aha <laughs> moment in my life. When I worked as a counselor, I always had people coming in saying, I want to get rid of this part of who I am. And I oh. can relate because I felt that way too. Mm-hmm. And it never seemed like God was on board with that. I <laughs> 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 thinking, well, what is going on? And I realized that the core characteristics of who we are, like being an introvert or extrovert, are at the center of a continuum where on the left side it'd be labeled struggle so for me that looks like my sensitive nervous system sometimes leading me toward anxiety that would be a struggle i had okay but on the right side of the continuum would be labeled strength and that's where gifts like empathy perceptiveness compassion well and so god doesn't change us through elimination because we are who he created us to be he Mm. changed us through transformation and so it's about recognizing, okay, I'm going to the struggle side of who I am right now. How can I take a step back toward the strength side? And as we do that over time, we learn to dwell more on that strength side than we do on the struggle side. But I think that is a progression and can free us from saying, you know what, there's, I need to be a completely different person. No, you need to be who God made you and just know how to walk in the strength side of that. Um. What was your favorite chapter to write? Oh, that's a hard question. I think, man, it's probably a tie. <laughs> I think I equally loved the whole book. I loved all the research and yeah. brain science and those things that I got to put in that I haven't yet in another book. So it was well, my, my mentor is an introvert. And when we first met, I had called her and asked her to help me with finding some research in scripture because I was going to teach. And I, and she brought like all these concordances because those were the days before Google and she, it's like 30 years ago. And she, and I said, we'd be great team because she throws up when she speaks and I don't like to study, I don't like to study (laughs) for long periods of time. So (laughs) that's a perfect example of the complimentary gifts that God gives us. Um, I love your quote, loneliness for an introvert is pretending to be something that you're not. What did you mean by that? Yeah. Some of the loneliest moments I've had have been in a room full of people where I don't feel really connected to someone. And so I think we can believe loneliness is about physical space. But even in that verse where God said, it's not good for me to be alone, that word alone actually means living disconnected from God, others, and our truest selves. Wow. So it's not about physical space. It's about the state of our soul, which can be when we are by ourselves or when we're in a crowded room. And in contrast, solitude, which introverts need, actually everyone needs it. Introverts just need a bit more. Yes. Is about time apart, chosen for a specific purpose, like Mm -hmm. restoration, reconnecting with God, reconnecting with who we really are, doing creative work. And so I think that's an important distinction that loneliness isn't about physical space. It's about whether we are living an engaged life or not. If if, uh, an introvert was in a crowded room and felt lonely, what would, what step, let's say you were their little counselor in their ear, what would you say to them right then? Not necessarily to go fake talk to somebody so that they feel like no one, sometimes you feel like everybody's staring at you and you, and they know that you're lonely and that's an additional shame. What would you say to them? I would say pick one person and just focus on them. Mm -hmm. Think about quality over quantity going deep instead of wide. And that's probably where you're going to be the most satisfied in your relationships. 
Go back in with that, what you just said about the definition of alone. It's not good for man to be alone. What did you mean? What did you say there about being disconnected from your soul or your true self? What was that? Yeah. Living disconnected from God, others, and our true selves. It's okay. when God says it's not good for man to be alone in Genesis. That's what that word actually means. Mm-hmm. I used to repeat that to God when I wasn't dating. <laughs> like he needed yes. a reminder of, his, <laughs> of what he had set up. It, it took me a while. <clears throat> anyway, um, <clears throat> I feel like you are a gift to introverts. I hope you feel that way. Uh, I hope so. Yeah. Oh, you are. And um, and I'm going to recommend it to a zillion people because I know a lot of introverts. But um, what is what do you feel is going to result from you writing this book as far as for you? How has it been a gift for you? For me, it yeah. has also made me feel less alone because <clears throat> I get so many emails now that say, I <clears throat> feel more understood than I ever have in my whole life. Wow. I finally feel like I have permission to be who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's powerful and rewarding. And of course, that's what I want for every introvert. It's for all of us just to feel that permission that we do already have to be mm-hmm. who we're created to be and to not try to change who we are, but make the most of it. Make the most of it. Uh, you were you were writing about insecurity in the book. And I think that extroverts can be insecure as well, because there's oftentimes that I am insecure. Is there a different kind of insecurity that introverts experience? I find that introverts tend to struggle with saying I'm not enough and extroverts Mm. tend to struggle with saying I'm too much. And Mm. that can flip flop for particular people. But in general, that's the pattern that I see. I'm too much what? I'm too loud. I'm too all over the place. I'm too overwhelming for people. Mm -hmm. You know, where introverts would say, I'm too quiet. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to connect with people in certain situations. Whatever it is (laughs) that we all tell ourselves, I think there's something that, of course, the enemy of our hearts tries to lie to all of us. Mm -hmm. And he knows how to customize that to what is our weakness and what's going to go after our strengths. And Mm -hmm. so... In general, that's the pattern that I see. Um, When do negative emotions become unhealthy? I love that chapter on how we think and how, or how introverts think and that it can go quickly to, um, to a negative spiral. And, and you also, you gave yourself grace because you said it takes at least what, three months to change your mental trails. Mm -hmm. So new neural pathways. Yeah. Elaborate a little bit on that, because I think that's so important because you think of uh, someone, why don't they answer my question? Or why did they take so long to get there? Or why are they depressed again? I just said this one thing. Yeah. Explain that a little bit. Well, emotions become unhelpful when we get stuck in them (laughs) because they're intended to be messengers that tell us about what's going on in our lives. They make great messengers, not so great bosses. And so when we get stuck in emotion, like depression, where we just can't move past it, that's when we need to reach out and say, hey, I need some help with this. Mm -hmm. And often when we do that, we think if I just know the truth, I'll instantly be able to feel differently. Mm -hmm. Our emotions are actually wired into our brains and it takes time. We have neural pathways that what we think over and over again, literally makes like a little pathway in our mind. And so it's like letting the grass grow over that and making a new pathway. So to complete change, when you really focus on an area of your life, usually takes about three months. And so if your emotions don't catch up, even though you're working hard to change, that's not a sign you're not 
doing it right or that you don't have enough faith or any of those things. It just means your brain's still in the process of changing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important for us to know because so often we feel defeated when we're actually just still in progress. Okay. Um, can you give an example, maybe from your own life where you had not to be too personal, but how, how you had to change a mindset that you knew was unhealthy? Yeah, well, I struggle with depression and anxiety. I think it's part of introvert wiring, especially creative introverts. A lot of times that's part Mm. of our story. Mm. I'm not ashamed of it. You know, I felt like God showed me that if I'm on a battlefield, that just means I'm a warrior. We all I love that. That was in your book. That was in your book. Say that again. If I'm if I'm on a battlefield, it simply means I'm a warrior. Mm -hmm. And that is true of everyone listening to whatever battlefield you're you're on. It just means you're a warrior and we're not home yet. And so for me, learning to deal with my depression and anxiety was not a one-time event. It's a process. It's a process I'm still in. I mean, with COVID and everything going on, I've Mm -hmm. had to learn new coping tools so I don't fall back into it. And just understanding that, that change is not instant, that it's often slower than we would like it to be and harder than we thought when we first started out. But the hopeful side of that is God does promise us victory and we don't have to do it alone. We're all humans in this together, fighting our battles and we can help each other out, have each other's backs and just know that we are doing better than it feels in any given moment. Mm, So beautiful. What do you feel is next for you as a writer? Well, I am working on future books. I have an ebook coming out in May about fear and a devotional coming out in September about stress. So when people wow. are hearing this, those they, books they, will probably be ready. They will be enjoy. ready. Do you have a title for the stress one? Yes. What you, hang on, <laughs> you can delete that part. What your soul needs for stressful times. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Boy, did we need that this year? Yes, we do. Okay, Holly, this has been uh, lovely. Um, my, As you know, my podcast theme is legacy. What do you see as your legacy? I hope that my legacy is empowering people to be who God created them mm-hmm. to be. I know, I know that's your legacy. So I'm glad you <laughs> said, go ahead, I interrupted you. Yeah, so whether that's my daughter or granddaughter, my sisters in Christ, readers. That's what my hope is for everyone I get to engage with. I love that more than anything when Mm -hmm. I see someone being who God made them to be. And I think that brings him delight. Right. And when someone says to me, well, Sue, I can't be like you. I go, praise the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) The only person we need to be more like is Jesus. Yes, exactly right. And I don't, the world doesn't need another me. That's for sure. (laughs) But um, the more joy I think and service that we give others is when we're aware of how God made us. Um, I love the point that you made that it's that, that God doesn't eliminate who we are. He transforms who we are. And your book gives such practical ways to help us become uh, self-aware, all those little quizzes and tests and research. I appreciate your introversion that caused you to go deep. And, um, and I'm going to so love sharing this uh, message of you, Holly Girth. You can find her where? Holly, you want to tell us? hollygirth.com. And I have a little quiz on my site about what percent introvert are you that you can take in about a minute because everyone has a little introvert in them. So that's a fun little tool too. Thank you. And I did take that and I was surprised how much introversion I had in me. It must be rubbing (laughs) off from my husband. Thank you so much and God bless. Thank you. Until next time, think about your legacy. 
the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.